0: And you know, as as we get into uh, the last week of our our summer um, sermon series, Jesus says uh, we're going to deal with something that that Jesus talks a little bit about, and then we see how the New Testament church lives it out, and what we're talking about is this idea of joy, and how it compares to happiness, and what it is that we're striving for, and what Jesus has to say about that. and, and, and we'll get into that. But just as a quick reminder as we wrap up this series, let you know, here's basically our model has been this. And if you're curious about some of the other things we've talked about, we've talked about baptism. We've talked about faith and boldness and worship and tradition uh, in this series. And, and here's what we've been doing. We've been saying, okay, look, let's pare this down to its simplest format. What does Jesus have to say about the topic? Okay. How did the New Testament authors that walked and talked and were directly ministered to and discipled to by Jesus, how did they live it out in their lives? Um, How did they teach it in the churches that they planted? And then, and only then, how are we going to apply it in our lives today? Because it's not about how I feel. Um, It's not about what I think I knew or learned. It's simply about what does Jesus say? How do, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the New Testament authors live it out, and write it for us, and then how do we figure out what that means today for us? And so today, as as we get into our last week here, we're going to talk joy and happiness. And intellectually, we understand, as soon as I say joy and happiness, intellectually, you get and you go through the process, the mental checklist that says, oh, I know this one. I know that joy and happiness aren't the same thing. I know that joy and happiness are different. But even though we know that, we don't always live like that's true. Right, we intellectually we understand that being joy-filled and being happy are two totally different things, but we tend to lump them together in our, our lives. And, and the thing is this: happiness is external and it's dependent on something else. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this, we're gonna, we're gonna, it's gonna sound like we rail against being happy today. Listen to me. I like to be happy. Happy is good. When I'm having happy moments in my life, it's better than when I'm not having happy moments in my life. I will always take happy over other things. But you and I both know about happy that it never lasts, and that the things that we think will cause us happiness, they don't linger the way that we want them to, and they never Equal what we think they're going to equal, and here's the thing, man. Sometimes I think to myself, well, I would like to test that out, right? I'd like to, I'd like to experiment with that a little bit because they tell you that money can't make you happy. I'm like, well, you'll notice how people that the only people that say that are, are um, people that have a lot of money, right? You're like, you, know, I'd like to test it out. I would like to win the lottery. First, I have to play the lottery, and then after I play it, though, first time I want to win it, okay, and I'd like to win the lottery, and I'd like to do a little study to see if money can, in fact, make me happy, but I'm betting it won't, and we think, well, well, if I just had more success, right, if I just married well, if I just got the new house with more space, if I just got the new car so I didn't have to worry about it starting every morning, if I got the job that I really, really think I deserve, if I get those, then Then I'll be happy. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Man, if Tom Brady can't get it to work, I'm not sure what chance I have if I'm looking for something else to sustain me. But happiness doesn't work. It's external and it's dependent on other things that happen. And you and I both know it just never lasts. But joy, joy is something that's internal. And it's independent Of everything else that happens. See, happiness depends on other people other than me. It depends on life circumstances. It depends on things outside of me. It depends on things happening to me. Joy, though, that's independent of everything else because it's something that comes from within me and it feeds me. Okay? And so there's this grand difference between the two. And I can tell you this, that no good has ever come from somebody seeking their own happiness because it's temporary and it doesn't work. And typically, what happens when I seek my own happiness is that I end up having to seek my own happiness at the expense of someone else. Because when you chase after your own happiness, you put yourself first. Other people, people that you care about, people that you claim to love, ultimately are going to suffer in that exchange. When I was a counselor... And counseling for years, and I'd ask people as they'd sit down first question, what is it that caused you to call and make your appointment? Invariably, I'm just not happy. Sometimes it's I'm not happy at work, sometimes it's I'm not happy with my marriage. Sometimes it's, I'm just not happy with my life, but almost always it was, I'm not happy. And and if you think it's not that big of a deal, take a walk down a self-help section of any bookstore, and you're going to find guide upon guide upon guide in that self-help section about how to get happy, things that you can do to make yourself happy, things that you can do to conquer life and be happy. Uh, Put it in Amazon and see what books come up. Happiness is this deal, but, but none of it is what Jesus taught, because Jesus, if you look in, in the New Testament, Jesus is always all about something that we would say, well, it's not very happy-inducing. It's all about self-sacrifice. See, Jesus is all always about how he can put other things first. Jesus is all always about how he can serve the Father, even when it goes contrary to his own physical safety his own emotional safety, his own well-being. He's always about self-sacrifice. And we see this pattern in the New Testament. And then we see what Jesus has to say about joy. And almost always what he's going to say... Okay, we've narrowed it down. We're going to look at three different chunks of Scripture in the, in the Gospels, uh, and there are more where Jesus talks about joy, but um, they're all around the same theme. And what we're going to see when it comes to joy is that Jesus has to say a couple of things repeatedly. First and foremost is this idea that joy happens in relationship with God, and joy is, this one sucks, but listen carefully, joy is learned through obedience. See, some of you are sitting here right now, and you know as well as I do, that your life is void of joy, that you're living a life that is not characterized as joy-filled. You're living a life that is just difficult, day in, day out. Your existence is hard. It's hard for you to get out of bed in the morning. It's hard for you to find a reason for being. It's hard for you to get motivated to go to work. It's hard for you to to find the passion to spend time with your family. It's hard for you to do those things. And when you struggle with those things, here's the one thing I would say to you about this is what Jesus says, joy happens in the context of a healthy relationship with him and obedience to the God of the universe. If you want your joy to increase, then your obedience to the God of the universe has to increase. It's not going to happen separate from that. Look what he says in, in John 15, he says, when you obey my commandments, this is Jesus now talking, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and I remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And so we see this really clear connection, okay, that when you obey, you remain in love love in relationship when you obey the god of the universe when you obey jesus you remain in his love and when you do that you'll be filled with joy when you don't do that well then the joy will be lacking see some of you always ask me this question it comes up all the time uh, when we talk about something called eternal security like how do i know i'm really saved and what happens when when I'm following Jesus but then I stop, right? Or I sin or I make mistakes or I'm having trouble getting rid of a sin that I know it's bad, I know it's wrong, but I have trouble getting rid of it. You know, like I'm stuck in alcohol or I'm stuck in pornography, I'm stuck in sexual sin, I'm stuck with my anger problem, I'm stuck in this, and, and I know it's wrong and I want to follow Jesus, but I keep getting stuck here in this sin. Am I still a Christian? And we've talked about this before. We can look pretty carefully through Scripture. And the answer, um, I'm convinced, is yes. You know, Paul says that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I'm convinced that nothing, no thing, can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Not even your own struggle against sin in your life. Paul himself doesn't claim to be sin-free. He says, but there's this thing, and I know I hate it. I don't want to do it, but then I do it, and I feel terrible that I've done it. He calls himself the chief of sinners. But we wouldn't say that Paul's salvation was taken from him, or that he laid it down, or that he let it go, but here's what we would say, okay? Here's what I'm hearing Jesus say right here. When you're stuck in sin, unrepentant, Sin. When you keep doing sin, even though you know better. Here's what I read. That your joy will be lacking. Right? Because here I'm seeing that when you obey my commands, you remain in my love, then you'll be filled with my joy. Your joy will be complete. It'll overflow. But if you're not obedient, then your life is going to lack joy. And here's the thing about joy, you can't manufacture it. This is why happy has become a cultural substitute for joy. Let's, I mean, let's just talk about this for a second. The reason that happy has become a cultural substitute for joy is because for brief moments, you can force happy. Right? I mean, for brief moments, you can force happy. You can chase happy you can get drunk. And for a brief moment, right? People get drunk, not because the whole, I mean, they're not getting drunk because they think it's terrible in the moment. They're getting drunk because in the moment it does something for them, right? People don't watch porn, right? Because it's, it's terrible, awful, and they hate every second of it. No, no, no. Because in the moment, in this exact second, it does something for them, right? People don't chase relationships that they shouldn't have. You know, they, they don't spend their life savings at the casino. They don't do those things because, because they feel bad in the moment. They do those things because it feeds something in them for a moment. See, we can manufacture happiness for a second. We can go into great amounts of debt for happiness that lasts for a second. See, we can do that. But joy, joy, see, we can't manufacture joy because joy comes from someplace different. Joy, it's not ours. Look, he says, my joy. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow, but your joy isn't yours. Your joy comes from me. It's my joy, and it flows out from you in this. And you know what's great about Jesus' joy? Because you can't manufacture it, guess what? It's not up to you to sustain it. You don't have to make it happen, and therefore, you don't have to keep it going. You don't have to sustain joy when it comes from Jesus, when it comes from this eternal source. Okay, And it happens because of the Holy Spirit. Joy is a product of the Holy Spirit in your life. Here's what Jesus says next chapter in John. This is talking about how he's going away. Okay? And he says, but it's good that I'm going away because I'm going to send you, he calls it the advocate, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. You'll weep and mourn over what's going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child's born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So Jesus is basically talking about this. He's like, look, you're going to have this moment And he's talking about his death, where I'm going to die, and I won't be with you anymore, and you are going to have such terrible grief. You're going to mourn. It's going to be tragic. You're going to wonder what life was all about. Some of them probably desperate to the point, maybe even to the point of suicide. Because they've backed the person that they thought was going to change everything, and all of a sudden, he is dead and buried and they are going to be tragically, woefully in bad shape. They're going to think they were mistaking. They're going to think it's wrong, and, and they're going to be so distraught and despondent, and they're not going to know what to do. And Jesus says, yes, you're going to weep, and you're going to mourn, and that's going to happen to you. But get ready, because your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It'll be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. We've talked about this before That uh, for you that have had children, um, and for Um, you women that might have children at some point in time, I mean, here's the deal. Labor's not awesome. It doesn't feel good. It's problematic. You can thank Eve for that, right? We read that in Genesis that 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 is a product of the fall, okay? Um, and, And so we see that labor pains are awful, but what happens when it's done? How many of you have multiple children? Okay, since most of our kids are downstairs, you can still raise your hand for this. How many of you had multiple children on purpose? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I can't count that fast to see if it was the same, right? But you chose to do it again, right? For as bad as it was, I remember our kids, for as bad as it was with Travis, like as hard as that labor was, as much pain and uncomfortableness as there was, We chose to do it again on purpose. And that's what Jesus says. He says, look, you're going to mourn and you're going to grieve like that, but joy is coming. Joy is coming. You will soon rejoice with wonderful joy because this new thing will have happened, and that new thing we know he's talking in context there is, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's God living in us. That's the source of our joy, and it makes sense then, doesn't it, that obedience builds joy? Because as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's what we read in, in Ephesians 1.13. It says, and you uh, also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal. So when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in you, and it marks you as a seal. The seal is the promise, the down payment. See, and so what happens is now you have this Holy Spirit as a Christian living inside of you, and it makes perfect sense that your obedience to God of the universe will either increase your joy or it will decrease your joy, because when you obey the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit is powerful in you. Some of you are like, I want to have more of the Holy Spirit. Good, I've I've got the plan for you. If you want to have more of the Holy Spirit, do what God tells you to do then the God that's living inside of you will come in power. But when you're disobedient to the God of the universe, the Bible tells us that you quench the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you. And your joy will be lacking. This is the way that it works. And when we understand, when you understand that the Holy Spirit is the giver of joy, that the Holy Spirit provides joy, you know what it does? it should give you a whole new perspective. It should give you a whole new way of seeing things. It should change the way you process the world that you live in. See, if you think back to Tom Brady, and the whole world is screaming at him that it's enough, that you signed a $60 million contract, that you could have any TV endorsement deal that you want, that you can't go anywhere without people recognizing you and worshiping you. That you've 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 married the supermodel. That most people would think that's uh, and she doesn't even cost anything at dinner because she never eats because it doesn't matter. <laughs> and you've won what five Super Bowls by now. And the whole world is screaming and it's enough. And you are now actualized, and you are satisfied, and you are happy, and you have everything you've ever wanted to have, and the whole world is telling you it's good. But when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, that's a down payment on something eternal. It's this promise that that something so much better than this, no matter how good or how bad or whatever this is, that there is this other reality that I've been promised because this eternal God is now living inside of me, reminding me, nagging at me when I get it wrong, building me up so that I have strength to do it well, and it's a promise for something else that I can't even fathom. That's what happens. It gives you this perspective. I mean, guys, some of us, we walk around, we, we, we're Christians, we, we say it, we're Christians, and then we act as if this is all there is. I mean, think about that for a second. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, a promise of something so good that's coming. Something so good. And yet we live like this is all there is. Like this world and these accomplishments. And you know what? If I walk around through life and I'm not happy, and I'm living like this is all there is, then guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna be depressed. I'm going to drag people down with me. I'm going to use people if it makes me happier. And unfortunately, in Benton County, it seems like we've had another rash of, of suicidal behavior here in the last couple of months. Some of you are intimately aware of that. You read it in the paper. It's there all the time. Why? You know, why? Well, because... If this is all there is, and this sucks, I don't want it. What's a point. But we can't have Christians living like that. Because Christians, they have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We know that there is something so much better. And that future thing should produce such joy that it changes everything. What else does Jesus tell us? He says this. He says this. Oh, we hate this one. By the way, this is awful. Um, He says that joy is not only worth the pain of this life. Check this out. That joy is sometimes because of the pain of this life. Look what he says in Luke 6. He says, what blessings await you When people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man, when that happens, be happy. I mean, yeah, track that. Like when when, when people curse you, hey, jump for joy about this. Revel in it. Be filled with joy because people cut you down. People mock you because you're a Christian? Hey, you know what? Boy, you should go home and celebrate that. Somebody in your family wants to make fun of you because you believe the fairy tale of Christianity? Celebrate it. Jump for joy. It should produce, he says, it should produce such joy because there's a great reward that's waiting for you in heaven. And so sometimes we get this idea. We're like, you know what? That the world doesn't make sense and that it gets hard and it's difficult. And the reason it's difficult, the reason I can't have joy is because everything is pushing down on me. See, what you're saying there is the reason I'm not happy is because everything's pushing down on me. But we say this as Christians. We say, I can't have joy because God won't cut me a break. Because everything is piling on top. My husband is angry at me. My wife is nagging at me. My kids are just pains in the rear end. And I'm going to get fired from my job. And everybody has abandoned me. And all of this is going on. And it's so hard. And I can't have joy because of all of this stuff that's going on. And and what Jesus is saying here is, no, 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 no. I don't know. When life gets hard, when life gets hard, and you trust the God of the universe because something so much better is coming, that should produce in you so much joy. You should jump for joy. You should literally leave the ground because you are so thankful. That something new is coming. And when you, I don't understand this, I'm not sure how this works, but we read it through the New Testament so clearly. When the pressure of life is put on you, it's not useless. It does something for you, something eternally. It's adding to you something of an eternal weight. Your parents die. Your kids struggle, cancer again, car accidents, lost jobs. When you put God first, what we're reading is that there's an eternal weight of glory, this thing that pushes on you. John Piper talks about that all the time. If you, if you read some of John Piper's stuff, there's this eternal weight of glory that is in response to the hardships in your life. And so there's this lesson that we learn, that while happiness is a feeling, that joy is a lens. Because joy is internal. When I look out with joy, I see things differently. And we're going to see that. The New Testament authors are going to talk about that quite a bit, okay? Uh, But the thing that we realize when we look at what Jesus says, Jesus talks about all of these things, um, that, that joy is... A cornerstone of the Holy Spirit living your life, and joy is a response to your obedience to the God of the universe, and that joy trumps, in fact, is informed by all of the pain of this life that happens. When we read this, we say, you know what? There is no call forever for there to be a Christian that is not filled with joy. So, gut check time, Christian. How many of you would honestly say, you don't have to raise your hand, just reflect? How many of you would honestly say that you live a life that is filled with joy? That you are so full of joy that it is actually annoying to people that aren't. See, that's the call. The call is to be so filled with joy, even in the face of circumstances, that you know what we do? When people have that much joy, when that many trials are going on, you know what we do? We're like, oh man, they're faking it. Like, oh, they're just so fake. Well, why are they fake? They're fake because it doesn't make sense to us. And some of you are guilty of that. If you're honest with yourself, think think about when when somebody was so filled with joy in the midst of such bad circumstances that you decided and maybe even told somebody else that they were fake. That they were fake because there's no way you could have that kind of attitude when life sucks that bad. Except joy is a lens. It doesn't happen from all of these things outside coming in. It, It starts here with the Holy Spirit and we push it out. That's what we learn. And so, listen, can you be a nasty, mean, crotchety, curmudgeonly, joy-sucking person and still be a Christian? I guess. Is there a call for that? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Absolutely not. There's never a call for someone to live that kind of life and then say, oh, yeah, I follow Jesus. Mark Johnson used to joke about this all the time. He'd be like, you know what? My life was, was um, terrible and crappy, and I started to follow Jesus, and he turned my life around, and now it's crappy and terrible. It's theology by Mark Johnson. There's no call for that. Jesus says you are to be filled with joy. Why? Because joy comes in all circumstances. When things are great, it's easy to be joyful, but when things are bad, you're joyful anyway, right? Because it's doing something for you. And joy is a response to obedience to God. All Christians should be obedient to the God of the universe, and that produces joy. And oh yeah, where it comes from is the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you that all Christians have. There is no call for a Christian that refuses to live a joy-filled life. And then we see how the New Testament authors live this out, and and there's just a couple of things that they teach us that we'll go through real quickly here. One is um, that joy and suffering will coexist. Joy and suffering will always coexist. Now, see, here's Paul in Colossians. He's writing this letter to the church in Colossians. He's actually in prison. As he's writing this letter, a lot of Paul's letters are from prison. He's in prison. He's saying, now, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. Like, I am in the midst of suffering on your behalf. I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been, I've been whipped. Okay. I've been starved. I've been floating in the ocean. Okay. All of these things have happened to me, and yet, what is the suffering causing me? I am rejoicing in my suffering. Suffering and joy coexist. And, and James writes it this way. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And he goes on, perseverance produces, and, and, and the list goes on, but he says, consider it joy when you suffer. See, there's a lot of Christians who, who assume, like, I can be joyful when things are great. Can I be really honest with you? You don't get credit for that. You don't get credit for being joy-filled when things are good. You know why? Because even pagans act that way. That's what Jesus says. He's like, so which one of you, even though you're sinners, when your kids ask you for a gift, are you not going to give them a good gift? Of course you are. They're your children. You don't get credit for that. You get credit when you do things that are countercultural, right? There's nothing markedly Christian about being in a good mood when things are good, okay? Okay? But what the disciples tell us, what Paul's telling us here is rejoice when you suffer. James says consider it joy when you face trials. Why? Because your joy informs your suffering. That's Christian. That's what stands out in a lost, broken world. When, When things happen bad, again, listen, I mean, we keep going back to these same wells, but these are the things that wreck our town, it seems like, these days. When cancer comes back... That is not time for you to go in a hole and hide. When you lose your job, when relationships are tough, when these things happen as a Christian, that is not the time that you are supposed to go sulk and be by yourself. That's when the world sulks and goes to be by themselves. But you, Christian are to have joy. Joy and suffering coexist in this world. Rejoice when you're suffering. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of any kind. That's what makes you stand out. That's what makes you different. It's a result of the Holy Spirit. Joy is a command and an antidote. Give me a favor. Raise your hand if you sometimes get anxious and worry. Leave your hand up. If you do it more than you probably are supposed to. Joy is the antidote. That's what it says. Rejoice in the Lord. This is Paul writing Philippians. Guess what? Philippians, he's in jail. Writing, writing to the church in Philippi, he's still in jail. Um, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness to be ev- evidence to all because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Stop worrying about stuff. Stop stressing about stuff. Stop being afraid. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then in case you're unclear, he says, let me say it again. Rejoice. It is a command that you are to have joy. And it is an antidote to what stresses you out. You're like, okay, man, well, that makes sense. Except how is it an antidote? You know, how, how, how is joy an antidote? Well, joy is an antidote because it gives you a perspective that's different. This is the last text we're going to look at here um, about joy, but, but this, is, this is the culmination of this. It's the culmination of Jesus' command. Jesus says, look, you're supposed to have joy. Joy comes from obedience. Um, and the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And joy is fed by sorrows and troubles of the world. And, and the, the disciples tell us, yeah, they, they coexist, right? You're, you're joyful not just when things are good, but you're joyful all the time. That's what a Christian does. And, and then says that, that, by the way, joy is an antidote. It's an antidote to this anxiety and this fear that we live life with. Some of you live life and you are so afraid. Some of you live every day afraid of death. That makes no sense to me. You know, there's a good research project out there. Uh, I don't know if it was Cambridge or Harvard or somebody, but the good research project, which is awful for Christians, it says terrible things about our testimony. Did you know that when it comes to end-of-life decisions, shall we extend life by any means necessary, or are we ready to go as gracefully as possible? Right? Like, do I want the ventilator to keep me alive? Right? Or do I want no extraordinary measures? You know, I'm 85. Do I want to go through the painful, um, you know, the, the, the painful um, triple bypass surgery? Or do I just want to live out the rest of my days as comfortable as possible? Um, when it comes to those kinds of decisions, Harvard Research, I'm pretty sure it was Harvard, you can, you can Google it and check, it, check me, but um, tells us this, that Christians, people professing a faith in the God of the universe and faith in the reality of heaven to come, that Christians are one and a half times more likely to make decisions to cling to life than to embrace what's next. Because they're afraid to die. Christians are one and a half times more likely at the end of their life to do things, um, to cling to life at any cost necessary, any means necessary. Why? Well, more often than not, it's because they tell us that they're afraid to die. Uh, Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying go home and drive fast and take chances and close your eyes and do that stuff. But I am saying that why in the world would we Christians who believe in the God of the universe and have submitted to and are following Jesus Christ and trusting him not just for for meaningful life and purpose now, but for our eternal salvation and to be with him forever in heaven and to be in his glory and experiencing his glory and living? Why in the world are Christians one and a half times more likely than people of no faith to want to cling to this thing because they're afraid to die. It doesn't make sense to me. And and I think part of the answer is this joy that we're supposed to have, this joy that leads to an eternal perspective. See what Paul writes in in Philippians 1. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And what's happened to Paul is a lot. Like Paul has suffered. If this life is all that there is, then Paul's life is a tragedy because he has suffered so greatly. But he says, What's happened to me has actually served. To advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul's saying here, it's like, it's the opposite of what the world thinks. He's saying, I'm in prison because of Christ. And us Christians who are so afraid of death and who are so afraid of this life, we would say, well, why in the world would following God get you in prison? Why in the world would doing what the God of the universe wants you to do ever land you in prison? I would like to hear Joel Olsteen explain this to me at some point in time. I'm curious how the prosperity gospel folks would reconcile this, but I'm really clear about what Paul's saying. He's saying, because ultimately it's a good thing. Because ultimately it's a positive thing. Ultimately it's good that I'm in prison. Why is it good that I'm in prison? Because everybody knows that I'm here for Jesus. And therefore, everybody is emboldened. The palace guard knows that I'm here for Jesus. We read other places that that, that guards convert to Christianity because of Paul's witness to them in prison. And we know on top of that, right? We know on top of that that other people are becoming so bold in their witness. They're becoming so bold in their preaching that they're stopping this fear that they had they're like they they were cowering in their preaching before because they didn't want to be arrested and thrown in jail but they're seeing paul in jail and he's got such joy while he's in prison that they're going you know what i can do that too i can be loud for the gospel i can be firm for the gospel i can be passionate about the gospel and i don't need to be afraid and he continues and he says because of this i rejoice Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. See, there's something about this perspective that he has. It's like, yeah, I'm in jail, and if this life was all there was, jail is the last place I'd want to be, but I have a perspective that goes well beyond this, and so I rejoice at the fact that I'm in jail because it's doing eternal things. And oh, by the way, I know that it's going to work out for my deliverance. I love this. This part, oh, this should, this should mess with those of us that are afraid to die. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. So now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. See, what's going to happen to Paul at some point in time is he's going to be, he's going to be asked to renounce Jesus. Jesus. happening in other parts of the world today. It hasn't happened to us here. It doesn't mean it won't at some point in time, but it's not something that we have to go to bed and wake up every morning afraid of, but, but, but that's a reality for Paul and, and, and the church that he's writing to, and he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed when that day comes, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by my life or If they end up putting me to death because of it, Christ will be exalted and I will have joy. And then he says this thing, and we quote this all the time, but we don't really know what it means, so let's deal with it for a second. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Because of the eternal perspective that joy has given Paul, the Holy Spirit living in him, his obedience to God, the Holy Spirit producing this joy that overflows in him, it's given him this perspective that says basically this. Listen to me. I can't lose. I can't lose. If I live, well, that's Christ. I get to keep on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I die that's to my gain. See, we are so afraid, Christians, by and large, in this country, again, quote that research, we are so afraid of death, so afraid of death, that we want to cling to this corrupt, decaying life with both hands and not let go. But Paul says, no, 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 no. to live is Christ, to die is actually to my gain. And he continues this last chunk, this is where we'll wrap it up. He says, if I go on living in this body, Um, That will mean fruitful labor for me, meaning if I keep living, I will keep serving the God of the universe. I will keep living a life that glorifies him and exalts him. Yet what do I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. Get this. What he's saying, in not a suicidal way at all, what he's saying is, I am so torn. They could come to me any day and say, you are released. Or they could come to me any day and say, denounce Jesus Christ or die right? I mean, come on, deep down, you know what you'd be praying for, right? But Paul says, I'm actually torn between the two. Like, if you were to ask me right now which one, I'm not sure what I'd want, right? Do I, what am I ready for? So I'm not even sure what I'd want, because he has this eternal perspective that goes so much beyond what we're doing. And then he says this, I desire to depart and be with Christ. That's my heart's desire, and that's better by far. But... And imagine being this useful to God in ministry that you could say this. Oh, I wish I was in heaven with Jesus. That's better by far. That's what I want. But I know I'm too valuable to the kingdom work right now. So I know I'm going to get out of jail. And it's almost this reluctant thing. I know what's going to happen. I know I'm going to get out of jail. And I know I'm going to keep ministering for you because that's to um, your benefit. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. And Paul eventually was martyred for his faith. And we don't have record of that in scripture. There's some historical documents that we can look at, but here's what I promise you that when it happened, Paul didn't cower. His joy never faltered. You read stories about martyrs of the early church, even martyrs today in different parts of the world, and martyrs go to their death singing a new song to the God of the universe because their, their bodies literally can't contain the joy that overflows, even marching to their own death. Why? Because their perspective is eternal. Christian, that's, that's the kind of joy I need you to have. That's it. That's, that's what you have to have. You have to have the right kind of joy, the kind of joy that's overwhelming. That trumps anxiety and fear. I'm not saying that you're ever confused about how bad things are in the world. I'm not saying that you celebrate hard things. I don't know. Listen, it's not like you wake up and you're like, yes, cancer. But in the midst of cancer, you know what you do? You have joy. You have joy because it comes from somewhere inside of you, not from somewhere outside of you. It comes from Jesus. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Joy that sets you apart. A joy that screams to anybody watching that you belong to Jesus. And I can hear you now because we've had this conversation, many of you, and many of you that aren't here. But it's hard. But my wife doesn't believe what I believe but my husband doesn't believe it. She won't come to church. He, he, he won't come to church. Uh, you know what? Everywhere I am, people, people mock me and make fun of me, and it doesn't matter what happens, but it's always trouble. Like, like, just when something... I get it. Listen, I came home from... I hate vacation, right? I get buyer's remorse, something fierce. Like, I hate spending money. Um, at the same time, I love to spend money, but then I feel really bad about it when I'm done. Like, oh, I can't believe we spent money on that. And then we came home from vacation, and the fridge died. And well, I guess we're going to have to buy a new fridge. Like two days later, washer's dead, right? And I'm like, oh, I've got to buy a new washer. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, like, oh, we shouldn't have went on vacation. It was terrible. How did we do that? And you know what? Like, caught myself for a minute there being all whiny and complaining. Like, you know what? Life is hard. Things happen. But am I going to be known as the guy that complains because... Let me talk about first world problems, right? like, oh, the refrigerator will I keep all of the food that I get to own died. Had to go buy a new one. It's okay, I took money out of my savings, but it was really tragic. Ultimately, we've got to decide what we're going to be known for. We've got to figure this out. And yes, it's hard, but you must keep pushing forward. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep pushing ahead. Because there is something so awesome about a Christian that revels in the joy of the Holy Spirit that's inside of you, that has the perspective that says, I don't care what happens in this life. It's going to be okay because I know what's next. And that joy happens only because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Heavenly Father, God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. We thank you for the God that you are. We thank you for uh, the sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. We thank you that you sent your one and only son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. We thank you that we've entered into, as Christians, a relationship with you where our perspective has shifted from right now to all of eternity and where things now make more sense and where we can have joy even when life is difficult because we're following you and because we trust you and because we know. Father, we just ask that you bless us this morning as we participate in communion together, that you unify our hearts as Christians that understand that this life is temporary and that there's something so good, that we are on mission and our mission is about the gospel. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Amen.